0: Every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd, he's also the co-founder of Rivers Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Matt Reiner, co-founder and CEO of Benjamin, a financial services technology firm. Benjamin is the first ever business support system driven by AI, which seamlessly integrates the software tools and data used by advisors and their teams to better service their clients. Matt, excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the show. Ryan, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so you're down in Atlanta. I'm a Phillies fan. You're a Braves fan, I would imagine. So uh, you know, Phillies are have the hot stove going right now, which is good. So maybe they'll meet again in the playoffs this year.
1: You know, they will get eighteen meetings between the two at least this this year. I mean, y'all keep on spending. I was texting some buddies about it. I said, you know, I guess we're just going to be sitting on our on our hands this this off season, which I guess isn't a bad thing. But y'all definitely aren't. Y'all y'all just shelling out the money for uh, for all the big guys. So we'll see if we can keep up
0: in the, uh, when the season starts, that's what you have to do when you can't, uh, build through, through the draft and through your farm system. That's a story hey. for another. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> hey, you know what? The Mets are
1: doing it. The Yankees do it. The Dodgers do it. And, true. Uh, and then the Braves are trying to do
0: it, but we just compete on a different level. It's true. Well, th- it's an excellent segue <laughs> into the beer I'm going to be having today. So the beer is by a brewery called evil genius, but it's called there's no crying in baseball so uh, i like that yeah one of the you know uh, a league of their own one of the greatest movies ever i love tom hanks in that so um we're, we're gonna give this a sample and we'll we'll try it at the end there you go that's awesome i love that yeah i mean you
1: it, i'm surprised you didn't go with like a sweet water for down here in atlanta right like a 420 um, uh, you know or any of those op- options you know we've got a few breweries down here but they actually uh, sell those uh, next, up here that they do that's yeah. good
0: yeah I've, that's I've had amazing a 420. i like it very much it's good yeah i agree with you
1: the the 420 is always a good one so yeah. anyhow there good. you go
0: well let's jump into it a little bit tell us a little about about benjamin and, and you know your company and everything
1: yeah i mean I, so benjamin is a is a workflow automation engine it, it really was started as a as a project for our internal Companies that we have here. So we have three different RIA firms here in Atlanta. I have grown up in this business. My dad founded our main RIA firm 25 years ago called Capital Investment Advisors. And uh, that's where I started as an advisor on the investment team. And and then I made that natural progression towards technology because all advisors just progress to technology after they are an advisor. And uh you know, we started Benjamin as a project for us because we were having uh, some desires to become more uh, efficient, yeah. create some capacity, and so Benjamin is uh, as a workflow automation engine just is the connective tissue between your processes and your workflows and your technologies to execute on medium mundane tasks. The best way to think about it is. Just think about online bill pay. Yeah. Uh, online bill pay is this engine that connects your bank and your service provider to execute on sending the check. That's what they do. That's the basis of it, and that's what we do at Benjamin. We don't send checks and connect your bank and your and your uh, service provider, but we connect your processes that you've already built either in your CRM or you know based on you know your standard operating procedures with your technology CRM reporting, custodian, and calendar to execute on a lot of the menial, mundane tasks that we do day in and day out. Yeah. Uh, we then execute based on the data from all those systems and based on your processes and it's uh it's been a it's been a fun journey uh, but it's a it's a valuable tool that's just nichey. it's a very niche to- uh technology just for the wealth management industry
0: well i mean that's huge so i mean you you grow up so if i get this right you basically spent your entire life in the wealth management industry you know your dad started a firm and you spend your whole time in there and you're working and you go yeah, I think this could be done more efficiently. So, when did you have that epiphany and when did you realize that I actually think other advisors would want to to buy this?
1: Yeah, it was um yeah, you know, it wasn't like this one like aha moment, right? It yeah. was uh it, there was many aha moments across the journey, but we actually started another technology company about 8 years ago that was an app. And it was similar to, if you remember personal capital or mint.com. Yeah. 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 And so it was just like a budgeting app and we were connecting into all the bank accounts. And we were trying to do that for another RA that we have, which is more tailored towards the mass affluent, and to create them a prospecting pool. And it was a fun journey. We got like 50,000 users download on the product and it was, it was a great journey, but it just, we didn't have the scale and the money backing it to, to compete. And so we still had these really talented engineers that had created some really cool tech that we said, well, we have some challenges inside our firm. So we basically just went and said, hey, this is a challenge that we have inside of our firm. Can we solve it? And so uh, me and the development team, we kind of strategized on it with our operations team and we put together a solution and it started to work. We're like, wow, okay, this makes sense. This is working. And then we did it within another one of our RIAs and it was all around onboarding. How do we more effectively connect? CRM and custodian with communication. Yep. Um, And that's when we started to see that it was working. And once we saw that it was working and how many hours it was giving back, we we're like, okay, we'll go start talking to some of our friends in the industry. And they'd be like, yeah, that'd be cool to see. And so that was like the natural evolution, but it was, it was built within our RIA firm and it stayed and lived there for probably about two years before we then rolled it out wow. into its own entity at that point.
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. I know you're not the only person in this space to do that. I know I, I'm trying to think of the uh, CRM system that was built by an advisor that rolled it out. I think he just recently mm-hmm. sold it.
1: Yeah, Redtail did it. And then you think about like Eric Clark over at Orion, like yeah. Orion is an amazing product. That's an amazing team and a great story. By the way, if you haven't heard, that's their story. It's a, it's a really incredible story. But Eric did it as well. They solved a problem that they had inside the business that they saw. And, and they built something really great.
0: Amazing. I do love the idea that you don't, you don't know how to code. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I have no idea how to code. <laughs> you know, I did, I I, I did uh, early on, like take some of these coding classes on my computer. Um, but then I read a book about like, you know, focus on what you're really good at. And I was like, I don't know why I'm wasting my time learning how to code. Like, that's just not something I know. Yeah. Um, so I know nothing about it, but I know
0: a little bit enough to be able to like talk to a developer, but I don't know how to code. They don't want me coding anyway. I love that. So you're sort of like, Hey, this is the problem we're trying to solve. This is what it needs to do. How you actually yeah. do it. You have the engineers for that makes a lot of sense. It, it's one of the, but I will
1: say it is one of those things that I've learned, um, you know, building this company is that, there is a challenge of communication between visionary of where you see a vision and a, and a solution to engineers. Yeah. Uh, and I I really messed that up early on in my career and, and it's gotten better. Yeah. Um, but it also is one of those things that, you know, as I think about building technology companies, I've been fortunate to have really talented and, um, and dedicated engineers on our team. Uh, but it is something that you, you know, if you start to build a technology company, you really want to have someone with some dev experience to come Mm -hmm. alongside you in that journey uh, because it's so needed it's hard to go and build your vision by just outsourcing everything all the time if you don't have at least one person that understands it and can run that if you're not a dedicated technical leader
0: so when when you say you made you you messed up early trying to talk to the engineers that was just like things that you were saying were lost in translation and not exactly what you wanted was happening because you couldn't put it in their terms is that kind of what was happening?
1: yeah i I think that you know (laughs) I, I feel like there's a lot of those uh nuances because you know you when you talk to an engineer an engineer is very detail oriented down yeah. to like the specifics like you know the specific of it and uh, you know for for instance if you're like hey i, I want to have a um i want to have a button that the user can click to open up an account um and they're like okay and they they don't they just put the button like up there and then when they <laughs> click it like they don't know what the next thing is. And so, you know, it's just like silly stuff of that nature. But then it's also very technical, like important stuff of, you know, well, why would you ever take that action next? I said, I want you to do, you know, I want you to start the process of opening a custodial account, but you just started to like, send them emails. Like you haven't yeah. done, you haven't filled the paperwork out. Like I thought it was just known to fill the paperwork out. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think that the best example that I've, I've shared with uh, peers and, and other leaders is that um it's, I, I think about it like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I do this now with all of my teams. I always do this exercise. of I say, you know, let's make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, write down all the steps. And the thing about making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is we all know how to do it. Right. It's like, it, like, whether you've done it, uh, recently or years, you know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. yeah, but then when you ask someone to do that, everybody comes up with different steps in the process. Yeah. And it's like they get the peanut butter. like get the peanut butter and then put the peanut butter on the bread and get the bread out of the out of the back and they just and it's like, but but how do you get the bread out of the bag? Do you rip the bag open? do you undo the twist tie? And then when you say put the peanut butter on the bread, Yep. Do You just put the peanut butter jar on the bread. Like, or do you have to open, <laughs> open and, and Everybody, everybody gets so frustrated with me when I go through that exercise because they're like, we already know, but I'm like, that's the problem with communication yes. is that if you don't break it down to the simplest step, then how can we repeat it and have a consistent client experience going forward? Because I do this with my wealth management firms. It's like, how do we have a consistent client experience if we can't break down the process to the simplest step? Yep. Everybody knows the exact right thing to do at the exact right time all the time. Yep. And it's the same thing with engineers that if you just say go make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, engineers are gonna make 10 different ones.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny you bring this up because I recently, within the last two weeks, re-looked at our client experience and I went granular like. The, a call goes in on this day. This is what happens. And and it, it ends up being like a workflow. I don't even know how to build a workflow, right? So like my business partner, his brain is more engineer-like. I go, this is what I want the client experience to look like. Can we deliver this? And sometimes we're like, we can't do that because of this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. So that that communication against different types of brains is huge. It's it's so um, it's so important. And I I just think it's
1: like in this journey of building this company is that if I never had built this company and just stayed in wealth management, I never would have had this experience. And And I think that it would have been a detriment to our wealth management firms because we wouldn't have understood the attention to detail as deeply now our operation seems incredible our, our head of ops and our cco she's done an amazing job been with us for 20 years and she's really detailed yeah. but this type of mentality of how do we rethink like even our technology and our communication and all steps of it has driven us to be even deeper and i think it's just a it's an amazing lesson that i would never have gotten anywhere else
0: yeah no, for sure i'm i'm interested in in fintech in general because i feel like the wealth management financial advisory space is headed towards like part which where financial technology meets personalized unique advice. Um, you know, I do still. I'm a little old school where I think that human element is is going to survive all this fintech. But uh, uh, where do you think for globally for that that fintech sort of heads? Where how, how important do you think that's become in the process for wealth management firms?
1: Yeah, I think it's getting to the point to where it's as necessary as having a phone on your desk. Oh. And I and I, I think but I but I think that when the phone came, it didn't eliminate the human. It just made us be able to communicate with our clients more effectively. Sure. And I am with you in the sense that I don't believe that fintech or wealth tech is going to overtake wealth management. I think that I am a firm believer and my my actually core mission just in life in general and professional life is I want to ha- allow every human being in the country to have access to a human financial advisor. I think that Great. that's why a human financial advisor is so important yeah. because of the behavioral psychology side of things of keeping people from making mistakes. That's that's the one thing, the EQ, the understanding, the helping to understand all that is where the human really is involved. I, I think that the, the, the natural progression is how does the human evolve to doing more human psychological life? things that are needed in the relationship, as opposed to the things that we view as being important today, which are these menial tactical elements. And FinTech is going to allow us to have better insights into our clients, to be able to act on information quicker, to be able to communicate with our clients at the right time, and to be able to digest information quicker so that we can help make deeper, better analysis of what's the best route. And, you know, I think that there's so much opportunity there. And it's not just about having single sign-on or having a portal. There is some innovations happening that are, are you know, even beyond what Benjamin's doing that is incredibly forward-thinking. And I, I think that it's a matter of a change of of perception of what our value is. Yeah. And once we can do that as an industry, FinTech and WealthTech are gonna change the experience and allow advisors to have an even greater impact in my mind. And I think that's gonna go deep
0: and wide as well. Yeah. For sure. What do you think the biggest challenge is for most fintech firms right now?
1: (laughs) So how long is this podcast? Uh, (laughs) You know, I I think that the the challenge with fintech is that this industry isn't broke. So why fix it? Yeah. This industry it's a, it's, you know, there's not a, there's not a, a demand to change. And, and because, you know, the, it's not being, it's not being disrupted. Everybody's saying it's being disrupted, but it's not like me as an advisor, I can go and have, and there's nothing wrong with this. I just want to yeah. for share that is that me as an advisor can, I can have a hundred million dollars in AUM and, you know, maybe have 50 or hundred clients. And I don't have to do anything ever again, and my my salary will go up every year based on average because yeah. markets tend to rise, and and in seven to ten years my my revenue will double, my yeah. income will double, and I have done zero. Right. So so the challenge for fintechs is that how do you instill this sense of need? Yeah, to change when in reality there is no need to change and yeah. that's the biggest challenge that fintechs have and i think that the the what what we're learning is is that you have to show a value add and and it's all about growth and efficiency is what it is right how do efficiency helps growth and then there's other technologies just help you get new tech new people in more people in faster. Um, but I think that the challenge is, is education. And I think the challenge for FinTechs as well is you got you have to understand the industry. I have a bunch of peers down here that are starting wealth tech companies. And I I talk to them and their challenge is they've never been in the industry. Yeah. So people don't trust you. This is a small, tight knit group. And True. they got the trust is a big thing. And I think that that's something that we've been fortunate to have is that, you know, I've sat in the chair. I can speak the language. I understand the challenges and the pain points. Um, and I think FinTech's big challenge is that if you don't have those people, it's going to be really hard. And if you don't build your technology with that in mind, it's going to be hard.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I also feel that this space, to your point, is co- sort of divided into multiple camps, right? If you look at sort of you know the macro level of camp you have, and sometimes this has a negative connotation, and I don't necessarily think it does, and I don't mean for it to have, is you have the lifestyle practices, and then you have the enterprise practices, where you what you're talking about is you got your $100 million advisor who's- Just kind of like enjoying life. He's doing fine. He doesn't have a huge staff, and being more efficient is not necessarily high on his priority list, right? Then you have that other enterprise where they're really trying to hammer growth. So you really have to figure out how you can duplicate things that you're doing and your systems and your processes to make things more efficient to 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 lead growth. And I think that's a real challenge uh, for for us. I mean, uh, as as an industry. I think that I think that that I think
1: you nailed it on the head. I think that that's a um, that is a huge challenge in this space. That, ev- in in every firm, is slightly different. Now, everybody, if you break it down, we all do the same thing. Sure, right? we meet with clients, we open accounts, we service clients. That's like all we do. But everybody wants to be unique, and I think that that's also what's going to change in the industry. Is that people are going to find an ability to be unique in different ways. It's not a matter of like your investment philosophy. It's unique based on how you utilize technology or how you service your clients or what you look at in fulfillment. But the challenge is is that because everybody is so different and you have these kind of two big buckets, it's hard for fintechs to build a product that can meet the demands of both. And if you can't meet the demands of both, then you now have such a limited scope of clientele opportunities that you're either going to have to charge an exorbitant amount or you're just not going to be able to make a business out of it because there's just not enough of us out there right. um and you know you, you think about that the pendulum that's happening in the industry right you remember like back 25 years ago it was like you know you could sell on being an RIA like i'm independent come to me like get away from the wirehouses and now it's everybody's independent and now yep. you have this whole MA thing that's like basically creating RIA wirehouses so instead of just wirehouses just independent wirehouses basically yep. and yep. And I think that what you're going to see in the next 15 20 years is this type, is like people breaking away and going back to being just independent again. I'm independent yeah. independent now again, right? I'm right. independent of the independent R warehouse. So, <laughs> um yeah, I think that but like those natural changes and and sometimes like the and as you become into enterprise, like the the regulation that's on them and the difficulty of compliance, which is harder and harder every year. Yes. Compliance I think is going to be one of the hardest things for fintechs because it's yeah. going to become more and more stringent, the more and more Focus that we get on our industry, and um, it's gonna be a challenge.
0: You know, I think uh, this is a sidebar, but I think uh, the one of the big thing was with compliance. What their compliance companies are really good at is not answering a question and not getting themselves in trouble. It's like, hey, but that wasn't actually an answer. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's lawyers in a nutshell, right? Yeah, that's lawyers in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could do it.
1: You may be okay, but you yeah. may not. Well, it's like, am I am I going to be good? They're like, maybe.
0: Yeah, maybe can I can not. you give me a yes or a no? Yeah. Uh, no, maybe. Uh, maybe I can. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um now this might be a question for one of your engineers, but I one of the struggles that we have with with technology in our firm is integration. Things not integrating with one another. Well, you have integration. This software integrates with that. This one doesn't integrate with that and and where do you think that all ends up? Do you think it ends up being sort of like for lack of a better term, the common, uh, app that you had in college, where if you filled it out, you know, you had, you could, you could apply to 150 schools, or do you think it ends up being super unique and a secret key for certain places?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the challenge with integration, um, within our industry specifically is, is, is really around the legacy systems. It's, we've been around for a while and, um, and in they their antiquated systems and the cost to redesign those and redevelop those are are exorbitant they're they're yeah. high and i i think that there's also a challenge around data um, that that firms are trying to hold on to that data because of how important and valuable data is and so you think yeah. about like the like the like the the financial planning systems financial planning systems are really not keen on open integration they don't want to open up and it's because they're they're complex and somewhat antiquated but also because they want to be the system and so they're like right. why would i give any of my I will, i'll i'll glad to let you integrate into me but don't you dare think about that i'm going to let you integrate out yeah. and so i i think that the future point. i think that the future ecosystem is uh from an from, uh, from a, a standpoint of an advisor is that unfortunately i think that you're still going to have multiple systems yeah. um you know, I, I you know, somewhat to go with this question and it goes a little bit against it, but a sense, but you know, it's the argument of are we going to go to an all-in-one solution or are we going to go to best in breed, right? Mm-hmm. That's like an argument that's being happening right now about integration. And um, I think it's going to be a best in breed and not all in one because you're going to have to find a unique way of differentiating yourself um, uh, to your clients. And that means that you're going to have to find the best technologies. What I hope happens is that we can get to a point to where we can have a central command center of integrations that the data can flow and we can create this unified warehouse that lives in the middle of the best in breed yeah. as opposed and so you can still use the best in breed but the data is flowing to each of the systems appropriately via that sim, that data warehouse and the thing is, is that that technology works the challenge that that's going to present is that all these technology companies have to work together Right, And that's, I think that's why it's just not going to happen, you know, a technology like what we're doing at Benjamin by integrating everything together. But, you know, the next iteration that we build a Benjamin can continue to evolve that. Um, But I think it's going to have to come to something like what the EU did right or wrong with their banking system is that like, you know, you think about our banking systems, everybody has a different kind of like APIs and over in the EU, they had, they forced everybody to align by the same APIs, which made it easier to gather the data. For data yeah. aggregation systems. If you think about data aggregation in the US, it's the dirtiest thing there is. It's it's terrible. Every yeah. every four seconds, my uh my my credentials are or I have to re put my credentials into a data aggregation system. But it's because every bank, like Apple Credit Union up in the Northeast versus you know Pacific West Credit Union, like they all are doing different ones, yeah. And so it just makes it really difficult because there's no standardization. We'd have to standardize everything that then allows for that, that then creates a central hub. I don't expect that. Uh, I think that that's going to be longer. And, uh, you know, it's even hard for us to get to all the integrations. Right now, we only have 15. Right. But there's probably, you know, 120 more that we want to get to. And that's going to take us some time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, what what type of people, uh, what type of clients do you, does Benjamin have? Is it all financial planning firms or investment management firms? Or is there sort of like a, a certain demographic of of a, a certain way a firm looks that that is going to utilize you? So it's really, I mean, we look at it in a few different ways,
1: right? One, they they the firms usually have an operations lead. They usually yeah. have someone that's operations. Um, we 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 tried down the one-person track of like single-person firms that that wanted to keep away from hiring another admin. We've had some success if it's a right-minded founder, but the challenge is is that there's too much to be done, and so uh, so it's they have an operations lead sweet spot really is around 12 employees and they usually have some sort of documented processes or workflows. Yeah. Um, Because if you have those things, I don't care how big or small you are and you have a growth mindset, then we can help because they see the need, they see the ability and they have the dedicated personnel that knows the operations of the business that can, that speaks the same language that we speak. And when you have that, as opposed to just having like a firm of three advisors that are all just about growth, they don't, think the same way. They're just like, I'm going to try go grow. That's how yeah. we all start our firms. Right. Um, so that's really the kind of the demographics of the of the firms. And it's all RAs right now. We have a desires of potentially expanding into other you know verticals of financial planning, like sure. accounting and insurance, et cetera. But that's on horizon four and five in the future.
0: Okay. That's great. Um, what made you want to become an entrepreneur? Yeah. <laughs> uh... I don't like to have a boss. Um, (laughs) most common. uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I saw my, I think I saw my dad do it. Um, and you know, I, I love, you know, making an impact and I, um, I like to be, I'm a very creative, like visionary individual and I feel constrained in certain environments. And so, um, I think that that's one. And I, I actually don't, I don't think when I was growing up, it wasn't like, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I actually just thought I was just going to go work for my dad. And, you know, I think that the opportunity that he provided me, uh, I think that I just became an entrepreneur. I wasn't like, uh, ready to do it. I just like, I kept on having these opportunities to go and grow myself and do other things. And um, I naturally just became one organically out of sure. just like the opportunities that presented. Um, and so I, it's not like I, and to be honest, like I, I have higher respect for many other entrepreneurs outside of myself, because the risks that I took as an entrepreneur were much lower than the risks that they took, because I still had this, these other firms as my backing. And so, sure. you know, I, I call myself maybe a pseudo entrepreneur because you know the, the risk that other entrepreneurs take of that, putting all of their nest egg on the line and their families risks on the line, that's incredible. And, you know, I, I don't know if I can be lumped into that same group.
0: Yeah. I, I hear you. That makes sense. Um, well, you, you not only do you have run a couple of businesses, but you're also an author and a podcaster. Talk a little about your book. Yeah. So Dr.
1: Cole, Dr. Cole cash. will see you now is a, uh, and, and, and that's my recent one. I wrote one a few years ago called ready to be rich, which was more focused on helping millennials, uh, with budgeting, which I may actually go back to now that me and my wife have two kids. We may have to go back to that one to figure (laughs) out budgeting, but, um, Dr. Cole Cash, we'll see now is a uh is a business fable. It's a series. Uh we've actually written I've written four of them and I've launched two so far. Um, it's it's all about Dr. Cole Cash is a uh is a therapist or a psychologist from uh down here from Charleston, South Carolina, just a good old Southern boy that his only clients are financial advisors. He helps financial advisors overcome their worries. And so, you know, in the first book, it's all about overcoming your worry of like, what is my value? Like technology yeah. is ramping up to one of your questions earlier, like, is FinTech going to take us away? And that's like a very common worry by many people is like, how is it going to evolve me? And what is my impact? And then also like the generational shift in wealth. How do you, how do you serve another generation that doesn't, that you don't get, like you're now, you know, you may be 60 in a firm that you grew and now you have these 30 year olds that are using TikTok. Like how do you relate to them? And so it's all about Dr. Cole Cash helping talk through these these challenges uh how to deal with you know the next gen and um it's just a fun short Fable uh, that is built on real stories, uh, but it's a lighthearted read with a ton of value within there that you can learn. And I think it's a really unique book that 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 that's there because what it does is it change, it switches the sides of the table that we tend to be on as advisors. We tend yeah. to be the psychologist for our clients, and now it's putting us in this in the chair of our clients, hearing a psychologist help us. And it's a really kind of interesting uh, perspective to take. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So how long does it take you to write a book uh too long um yeah. yeah it you know this this one because we I broke them up and you know I have a, a team that helps in in sense of like you know, um, you know, an editor and all that type of stuff, but this one I wrote in full. I wrote a four book series just in one book, and uh, and then we broke it up into slices because we thought it'd be a greater opportunity to just to break it down. Yep. But it takes you know, it takes a year to 18 months, and okay. um, it's not like you're sitting down at the table all the time typing up, but uh, you know, now it's, it makes it a little bit easier because you've got voice uh, recording applications that allow you just to talk it in and uh, and then go edit it from there. So yeah, it's and I've got a few other ones that I have on the docket that I I am I'm, I'm I'm starting to do research on and I hope we'll write right again soon.
0: Love it. That's great. Um obviously COVID has played a central role in all of our lives. Talk a little bit about how that affected your journey in, in business ownership. Yeah, you know, um <laughs>
1: it's such an inch. I, you know, one of the things I always say to the individuals is that the experience in this industry is not about the number of years you've been in the industry, but the number of cycles you've gone through. And, yep. uh, you know, I've been through 809 09, I've been through, you know, polarization and political environment. I've been through now COVID. And, um, I think it drastically changed all of our businesses. I I'll say, I'll speak on it on, on the Benjamin side more specifically, you know, as difficult that COVID was and the uncertainty that it provided and, and the terrible, you know, it took many people's lives just you know, ravagely. And um, for us at Benjamin, though, it gave us an opportunity. And I have to say that I think without COVID, I don't know if Benjamin would still be around wow. and um, and impactful because during COVID, um, we were actually right at the beginning of that. We were in the process of raising capital for Benjamin um, from a venture capital firm. And, um, we were a different business at that point. We were charging per user. Uh, it was very low cost per user, like $80 per user. And we were more like a chatbot technology that was integrating and we had grown pretty good, but we got in with this venture capital firm to raise some capital and we, they eventually backed out like in March of 2020. Oh, wow. And, um, and it was like on like the 43rd day of due diligence. And, um, um, and at that point I was like, okay, well we got to figure some things out. And, and you know we got our team together. I have an amazing COO that's just is a great person. and um, we decided to stop selling, and just focus on our current clients, help to serve them through this challenging time. And I worked with our engineers and and they redeveloped the entire platform and wow. rede- and we I brought on a, we brought on an investor and a, a board member uh, or, or he's a, he's a mentor of mine, an advisory board member. Who uh, who helped to build Black Diamond on the sales side? He helped oh, us wow. reimagine the marketing, the the product, and the value prop, and the sit and the pricing strategy. And we took from you know basically April through December of COVID and rebuilt the entire product. Didn't sell a thing, um, and then we relaunched. I think December thirteenth, but then we really relaunched in January of twenty twenty one, and since then you know, this year we'll double our revenue. We've, we're, we're, we're having fewer clients, but we're helping them in a greater way because we increased our pricing. So we're going deeper, more valuable to them. And our product is better and stronger and more innovative. And we won this award. We created a whole new category. And so, you know, I think about what COVID did and all the, all the, the challenges that it presented. And, uh, you know, I think I have to find a silver lining
0: and it, 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 it was the reason we are where we are as a business today. I think that takes a lot of guts to sort of say, hey, we went down this road. We were this close to getting venture capital money. And COVID hits and you sit around and you go, All right, let's totally redo this company. And that's no. what you did. And you relaunched it. And, and by the way, you did it quickly. You know, uh, that's that's not nothing. So well,
1: I, and that's that's due to some talented individuals that we had on our team at that point that were committed to the mission that we had. And I, I also say that there, there's, you know, I think that this is a really important takeaway for anybody that's either in the midst of building a business or is thinking about building a business is that having mentors is extremely important. Yeah, Because if I didn't, I I mean, the first call I made right after the VC told me, I I had the Zoom call taped and it's recorded on my computer um, and of them telling me no. And um, right after that, I called my dad and I talked to him and I was like distraught. Like, what are we going to do? Like we needed the money. And, um, you know the benefit of mentors is that they've been through experiences before, right? right? Yeah. And I, you know, I think that that's like the best part of being a parent is like your kid gets dumped by their their love of their life at that nine years old, and you like you can help them navigate that because I've been dumped many a times and I've gotten <laughs> over it, right? And uh, and like he's he, he helped me through that, and then my you know the mentor from for me over that that you know came in from Black Diamond, like he's like, all right, well, what do we need to do? Like, how do we go through this? And they helped me realize that path. And they weren't going to do it for me, but they helped clear my mind. And and I think that having that type, those types of people in your life and on your bench when you need them in yeah. that journey is is extremely important.
0: That is huge. And th- when you find those type of people, they're always willing to sort of say like, hey, A, I've been there. B, I know how much this sucks. C, here are some things that you can do. And D, here are a bunch of mistakes I made. Just try not to do those. Yeah. I, I just
1: remember my dad, he said, he's like, it's not time. It's not time to close the business. Because I'm like, when do we close it? He's like, it's just not time. Do you think there's an opportunity? And if there is, let's go figure out how to make that happen. And, um, you know, I just remember that is so vivid. I remember exactly where I was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was all, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever
0: go back and watch the 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 no video, like see your drop down your eye when they start? Every every once in a while, well, you know, those videos are like,
1: yeah, it's fine, it's fine, yeah, what, yeah.
0: Totally understand. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I I get it, I get it. All right, see you later. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah
1: it uh, I do, I do, and I I keep it because I think it's just part of the journey. It's
0: yeah, part of the journey. I, I find it amazing that when in the the journey of building a business, the wins are celebrated. But the losses are the ones that you really remember more, Um, especially when things are going well. You can go like, "Okay, I remember getting that call from the VC company or, uh, you know, I remember this part of of this journey and how I knew that at the time that it really sucked. But I'm glad I went through it to get to here.
1: Well, everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a matter of I think that they um, I think I recently heard a quote of success is equal to 99 percent failure. Um, and so it's basically like, you know, you you fail 99% of the time, but that 1% is all you need to have success. And, um, I think that the challenge that that presents is our, is, is the world we live in today that we only celebrate all the great. Right. And we never, we never talk about the failures. And I think we need to talk about them more. Like everybody's like, well, it's easy to build Facebook. Like, like why, well, if you start an app, it should just be like Facebook or Instagram. Like, look at them. But nobody, yeah. nobody's talking about what they went through inside those walls that were challenges. And, um, we need to talk about it more. I think we yeah. need to talk about failure and uh, and the risk and and be vulnerable a lot more. And uh, because the journey is never never easy.
0: Well, it's way. funny. Uh, we've we've talked about this a bunch of times on here, but Michael Kitsis uses that analogy for specifically for our industry that most planning firms or most wealth management firms are like an iceberg. You see what's above the water, but underneath is where all the 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 pain and the blood, sweat, and tears are. And it is difficult to lose track of that sometimes when you look at other people.
1: Yeah. You know, what's so funny about that, as you're talking, what made me think of that is that, you know, if you think about the behavioral psychology, um, wins are never as as great of impact as losses are, right? We all know that, like the the, 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 the version of loss. Um, but, but when it comes to us perceiving others, it's like, wins are so much greater than losses. Like, oh, we're like, oh, whatever, but they won. Look at that. That's amazing. That's a great. Yeah. Which is like so backwards. When we look at ourselves, the pain is on the loss but we never appreciate the loss that they went through. We always just look at, they're so great because look at their successes. Yeah, uh, It's like we we put value on the different spectrum uh, when we're perceiving others than when we're perceiving ourselves. It's just like our minds are just uh, a little bit backwards.
0: Yeah, so it's such a great point. We are, you know, those old, uh, the, those, those memes that are, Instagram versus reality where we're the reality where, you know, we're, that's how we view ourselves as opposed to, you know, the people that are Instagram. I mean,
1: stars. who hasn't, who hasn't taken a picture? Like when you're on vacation, you're like arguing with your spouse or yelling at your kids. And then you're like, spouse is like, let's take a picture. We're in front of this, like great, monument, <laughs> And you take a picture and everybody's like, like yeah. smiling, everybody's happy and you post like great trip to wherever. And then nobody knows that right before that we were there's a huge like all out argument. Absolute
0: like, chaos. And indeed. then
1: right after that picture the argument continued. But yes. that picture life is perfect. Everybody looks at that like that Reiner family, they are the perfect family. They're so perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like
0: it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable. Such a good point. All right, uh, so we're running out of time, so I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions on the way out. All right, you ready? let's do it thing you like most about running a company vision creativity okay thing you hate the most about running a company managing people also number one answer (laughs) (laughs) it's like family feud um if you look at the back of your entire career what's the lowest point or the lowest you ever felt uh
1: this is a little bit longer than rapid fire, but uh, we we it was our first technology company. My CTO, my CMO, and my head of my my senior engineer all quit within a two week period. And I remember pulling into work and just sitting in my car for thirty minutes, thinking about what am I doing with my life right
0: now. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. bad, and I know exactly what that feels like. So that's why I can. Yes, laugh. Uh, yes. That, it's a very. I laugh about it a lot now, uh, and
1: uh, yes, that was a low a, point.
0: It's a very dark, dark day. Dark, yeah. dark place. <laughs> Dark, dark place. Yes. Oh, uh, if you, what's your favorite memory? Um, you know,
1: it comes last year. Uh, to be honest, my dad cel- celebrating the 25th year anniversary of our firm and being able to honor my dad and and have an opportunity to you know, not many people get the opportunity to share words of you know thank you and uh, what he meant to me and we were able to do it at uh, Truist Park down here with the World Series trophy right behind us. So oh, that's amazing. Uh, that,
0: that's kind of uh, that gives me chills just talking about. It, to be honest, that's great. All yeah. right, final question. And I'm going to write this down, and we're going to bring this up. I want a prediction of the the, the finish in order for the NL East for 2023.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, well, I mean, I gotta I gotta say the Braves are going to go for six straight division East uh, NL East title. So I think okay. it's going to be Braves. I think it's going to be Braves, Phillies. The Mets will be Mets, and they'll finish third. And then you got the Marlins. Uh, coming up and, and, and fourth. And then the nationals probably will still be, they still got It'll some still challenges ahead. They still got some challenges <laughs> ahead, but I, I think that again, this year, uh, if I were to make a prediction is that three NL East teams will be in the playoffs. that would be fun again. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I think
0: that would be the case. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. It was awesome. If people want to learn more about you, where do they go?
1: Yeah, please uh you know go to, to getbenjamin.com to learn more about the company but also mattreiner.com uh is where I do a lot of my thought leadership and follow me on LinkedIn um or Twitter at Matt Reiner. um and love to connect and uh, just have continue to have conversations. So Brian, I appreciate you man for having me on and doing yeah. this podcast and sharing it with
0: the world. Thank you so much. Um, if you want to connect with me on the Untapped app, my username is Carney 7 To learn more about how our firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. All right, moment of truth. I like this beer. There's no crying in baseball. Evil Genius Philly uh, Brewery. We're gonna give it a 3.5 out of five. That's pretty good. It's good. That's pretty I would, good. I would. That means yeah. I would drink it again. Yeah. That's yeah. better than average. That's exactly. better than average. It's not like <laughs> blah. It's a little bit better than blah. Yeah. All right, Matt. Thank you so much. Appreciate, Thanks, it. appreciate right. it. Thank you for listening to happy half hour with an entrepreneur sponsored by river's edge advisors. For more information on how river's edge advisors can help you visit their website at rivers If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, Follow him on Instagram at Rivers Edge Advisors underscore LLC.